you can have God. That's the wonder of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It isn't a work of grace. It is God possessing you. A new spirit comes in, the spirit of Christ. You have become a new creature, a saved one. You are God-filled. The Baptism of the Holy Spirit by John G. Lake Part 1 The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very difficult subject to discuss with much intelligence because, even though we don't like to admit it, the fact remains that the amount of ignorance among the people and the ministry on this subject is appalling. To view this subject with any degree of intelligence, we have to view it from the standpoint of progressive revelation. Like Christian baptism, the operation of the Holy Spirit must be seen and understood in its various stages of revelation. Otherwise, we'll be unable to distinguish between the operations of the Spirit in the Old Testament dispensation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. As we approach this subject, it seems as if the Spirit of God comes close to us. A certain awe of God comes over the soul. And it's my earnest wish that no joking or sarcasm will be permitted to enter into this discussion. Such things would be grievous to the tender Spirit of God. In the beginning of biblical revelation after the flood, it seems as if God was approaching man from a great distance because sin had removed man so far from his original union with God at the time of his creation. God seems to reveal himself to man as quickly as man, by progressive stages of development, is prepared to receive the revelation. So we see that the baptism was a further revelation of God's purpose in purifying the heart from sin than the original ceremony of circumcision was. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a greater, more perfect revelation of God than were any of the manifestations of the Spirit in the times of the patriarchs or the time of Moses. Three distinct dispensations of God are clearly seen, each with an ever-deepening manifestation of God to man. A previous dispensation of God never destroys a later, richer revelation of God. This is manifestly seen in looking at the patriarchal, mosaic, and Christian dispensations. In the patriarchal dispensation, we see God appearing to man at long intervals. Abraham furnishes the best example, for to him God appeared at long intervals of 20 and 40 years apart. And it was like this with the other patriarchs. Under the dispensation of Moses, there's a deeper and clearer manifestation of God. God was ever-present in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. He was present also in the tabernacle where the Shekinah glory overshadowed the mercy seat. 
This is a continuous abiding revelation of God. It was God with man, not to man, like it was in the patriarchal dispensation. God was leading, guiding, directing, forgiving, sanctifying, and abiding with man. But the revelation of God under the Christian dispensation is a much deeper and truer revelation of God than this. It is God in man. It is the actual incoming of the Spirit of God to live in man. This brings us then to where we can see the purpose of God in revealing himself to man in progressive steps of revelations. Man, by progressive stages through repentance and faith, is purified. Not only forgiven his transgressions, but cleansed from the nature of sin within that causes him to transgress. This cleansing from inborn sin, the nature of sin, the carnal mind and the old man, is the actual taking out of our heart the desire for sin and all correspondence with sin in us is broken. We gladly surrender the carnal life as a sacrifice on the altar of Christ. This inner heart cleansing that John and the disciples of Christ demanded is the work of the Holy Spirit by the blood and is necessary if maturity in Christ is to be achieved. A holy God must have a holy dwelling place. What wondrous salvation, a wondrous Christ, a wondrous atonement. Man born in sin, shaped in iniquity, now forgiven, cleansed, and purified inside and out by the blood of Jesus and made to be a habitation of God. It was so that man, once created in the likeness of God, would again become the dwelling place of God. That is what the atoning blood of Christ provided. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that they might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This reveals to us God's purpose for the blood of Jesus Christ, for us now to become the habitation of God, in whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, we see Paul in astonishment saying, What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Let us now see where we are, and we'll better understand how to go on. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. His purpose is to dwell in man after man's perfect cleansing from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. His coming was definite 
just as definite as was the coming of Jesus. When Jesus was born, his birth was proclaimed by angelic voices and sang by a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. The Holy Spirit's arrival was attested by his bodily form descending as a dove, and by a sound from a heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and by divided tongues of fire upon each of them in the upper room. The heavenly dove, roaring wind, and tongues of fire crowning the hundred and twenty were as convincing as the guiding star and midnight song of angel hosts. At the Last Supper, when Jesus addressed the disciples, he said to them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's better for you that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. As the disciples were together in Jerusalem after the resurrection, when the two who had walked with him to Emmaus were talking with the eleven disciples, Jesus himself appeared in their midst. He said to them, Peace be unto you. They were frightened, believing they'd seen a spirit. Jesus addressed them and said, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Then in Acts 1, we find that the 120 waited in prayer in the upper room 10 days. So between the crucifixion of Jesus and Pentecost is 53 days. There was a crucifixion day. It was necessary. And now, we, the children of God, must be crucified with Christ and freed from sin, having our old man nailed to the cross. We die to sin, a real act, a genuine experience. So it's done. That's how we're made partakers of Christ's death. But there was a resurrection day. He arose as a living Christ, not a dead one. He lives. He lives. And by our resurrection with him into our new life, we leave the old sin life and the old man buried in baptism and are made partakers of his new resurrection life. This life of power and the exercise of the power of God is made possible to us by Jesus having elevated us into his own resurrection life by actual spiritual experience. Then comes his ascension, which was just as necessary as the crucifixion or the resurrection. Jesus ascends to heaven and sits triumphant at the right hand of the Father. And according to his promise, he sent us the Holy Spirit. This experience is personal and dispensational. The Holy Spirit descends upon us and enters into us because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy God, the Spirit of Jesus taking possession of our personality, 
living in us, moving us, controlling us. We become partakers of his glorified life, the life of Christ in glory. That's how it was with the 120. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was the Spirit that spoke in other tongues. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit who had come into them, who controlled them, who spoke through them. Listen, speaking in tongues is the voice of God. Do you hear God's voice? They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Mankind has gotten to where we can understand God's manifestations. Not God witnessing to man, not God with man, but God in man. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Christ is at once the spotless descent of God into man and the sinless ascent of man into God. And the Holy Spirit is the agent by which it's accomplished. He is the Christ, the Son of God. His atonement is a real atonement. It transforms from all sin. Man again becomes the dwelling place of God. Let's now see one of the most miraculous chapters in all of the Word of God. Acts 10. A Gentile centurion named Cornelius is praying. An angel appears to him and speaks to him. The angel says to send for Peter in Joppa. Now, Peter's a Jew, and he isn't supposed to go into the home of a Gentile. He hasn't learned yet that salvation is for the Gentiles. God has to teach him. How does God do it? Peter goes up on the housetop to pray, and as he prays, He's in a trance. Think of it, a trance. He falls into a trance. Suppose I was to fall on the floor in a trance. 90% of this audience would be scared to death. They would instantly say that my adversary had hypnotized me. Why? Because of the ignorance among men of how the Spirit of God operates. But listen, listen, as he lays on the roof in a trance, he sees a vision. A sheet let down from heaven, caught by the four corners, full of all kinds of animals and creeping things. And a voice, what voice? The Lord's voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. But the voice said, 
What I have cleansed, do not call unclean. Peter obeyed. He went with the messengers, and look what happened. As he spoke the word, the Holy Spirit fell on all that heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which believed that came with Peter, were astonished, because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles too. How did they know? They heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid that they should be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, like we have? And so it all ended in a glorious water baptism service for all who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 22.12, Paul tells of Ananias coming to see him. But how did Ananias know Paul was there? See Acts 9, 10-19. And there was in Damascus a certain disciple named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Go into the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. Now, let's see that as we would see it today. The Lord said, Ananias, go down to Straight Street to the house of Judas and ask for a man named Saul of Tarsus, for he is praying. And now the Lord tells Ananias what Saul had seen, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, so he might receive his sight. Here, Ananias talks with the Lord. Do you know anything about communion? or talking with God like that? If not, get the baptism of the Holy Spirit like the early Christians, and their knowledge and experiences can be yours. And you'll see, just like we do, the operation of the Lord upon saint and sinner by the Holy Spirit. People ask us, where do you men get your insight into the Word? We get it the same place Paul and Peter got it, from God, the Holy Spirit. Beloved, read God's Word on your knees. Ask God by His Spirit to open your understanding to it. Read the Word with an open heart. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Ananias went as the Lord had directed him and found Paul. And Paul was healed of his blindness and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and was also baptized in water and ended up speaking in tongues more than you all. Now, look at Acts 22.14 again. Ananias is speaking to Paul, and he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you would know his will and see that just one and would hear the words of his mouth. For you will be his witness to everybody of what you have seen and heard. So what about the people who say things like, don't talk about these things to anyone? And now, why are you waiting? 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, just like with Peter at Cornelius' house, all this work of the Spirit ended in salvation and baptism. Now, God, through Ananias, promised Paul that he would know his will and see that just one and would hear the voice of his mouth. When did that happen? Three years later, when Paul returned to Jerusalem. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when I went again to Jerusalem, while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. Think of it. The intellectual, wonderful Paul, the master theologian of the ages, the orator of orators, the logician of logicians, in a trance. Bless God for that trance. It was the fulfillment of what Ananias had said to him three years before. Jesus said to him, Leave Jerusalem quickly because they will not receive your testimony about me. Now, what's a trance? A trance is the spirit taking predominance over the mind and body, and for the time being, the control of the individual is by the spirit. But we're so ignorant of the operations of God that even ministers of religion have been known to say that a trance is of the devil. Let's see where Paul got his commission to preach the instructions about what he was supposed to preach and what his condition and attitude was when Jesus gave him his commission. It's in Acts 26, 16 through 18. He was lying on the road on his way to Damascus. Now, if we were to see someone lying on the road talking to an invisible person, no doubt in our ignorance we would send for an ambulance or the police. But this is where the glorified Christ spoke to Paul and gave him definite instructions about what he would preach. And the purpose of his preaching was to be the salvation, not the entertainment, of others. Rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of the things that I will show you in the future. Jesus promises to appear to Paul again, and that was fulfilled while he lay in a trance in the temple three years later. Paul testified to King Agrippa about Christ's objective for his preaching. He said it was to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. From this we can see and understand the operations of God by His Spirit. And what about right now? Is the Holy Spirit in the church today? Truly, yes. 
But some say, we don't see him work this way. Why don't we? It's because you say all these things were only for the days of the apostles. You can't take the word of God and find one place where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were withdrawn. The nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are found in 1 Corinthians 12, 8-11. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Praise God for the discovery of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and especially for the gift of healing. May we all learn to know Christ not only as our Savior, but as our sanctifier and healer too. So the gifts are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, gift of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. We've seen that the Holy Spirit came into the church at Pentecost and the gifts are in the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is in the church, the gifts are too. But because of the lack of faith, we don't see them exercised in the ordinary church. But we believe and we stand for the obtaining of the gifts of the Spirit through our personal baptism in the Holy Spirit and the endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus that was actually commanded by him in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. People ask, what exactly is tongues? Tongues is the operation of the voice of the Spirit of God within. When the Holy Spirit came in, he spoke. Again, in Acts 10.44-48, through 48, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, Peter demanded the right to baptize them in water, saying, Can anyone forbid these who have received the Holy Spirit to be baptized? See verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. Tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by which Peter claimed the right to baptize them in water. Again, in Acts 19, Paul in Ephesus met 12 men who John had baptized to repentance, but now Paul rebaptized them by Christian baptism. In verse 5, we read that when they heard this, they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Part 2 There are as many levels in God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as there are preachers who preach it. Some people are still down weeping at the foot of the cross, still on the earth plane with Christ. They're still weeping over their sins, still trying to overcome sin and be pure of heart. 
But there are other people who are born away up in the blessed dominion of God, like our mother Edder. They have resurrection power. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all power is given, and it is in our soul. And beloved, one day there are going to be Christians baptized in the Holy Spirit who are all the way up in the throne of God, way up in the consciousness that is breathed out of his holy heart. Somebody is going to be born a son of God, baptized in the Holy Spirit where Jesus is today, into the throne consciousness of Christ, where they can say like Jesus said and feel like Jesus feels. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. An absolute overcoming consciousness. Listen, some of you are trying to revive a Pentecost that wore out years ago. God let it die. God had only one way under heaven to get you to move up into God. And that way is to let you become dissatisfied with the thing you have. And if you don't have the consciousness you once had, God Almighty understands the situation. He's trying to get you hungry so that you will commit your body and your soul and your spirit to God forever. And by the grace of God, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit over again at the throne of God consciousness in the power of Jesus Christ as Jesus is today. For most of you, when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Lord had to baptize a whole dose of medicine and pills and everything that was in you. Well, God never had to baptize that kind of stuff with the Lord Jesus. Jesus came down to the River Jordan and gave his body and his soul and his spirit to God forever. And he never took a pill or a dose of medicine. He never went to the spirit of the world for assistance or to the devil for help. His spirit, his soul, and his body were God's from that minute on, forever. Beloved, God is calling men and women to a holier consecration, to a higher place in God. And I am one of God's candidates for that holy place in God. I want to get to the throne of God. God baptized me in the Holy Spirit with a wondrous baptism, according to the understanding I possessed 10 or 15 years ago. But I'm a candidate today for a new baptism in the Holy Spirit that comes out of the heart of the glorified Christ in the lightnings of God with an everlasting overcoming on the throne with Jesus. That's the experience that is going to make the sons of God in the world. That is the reason they will take the world for Jesus Christ. And the kingdom will be established and they will put the crown on the Son of God and declare him King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. Amen.
Fear not, for God is able to perform in you that which he performed in Jesus and raise you likewise in union with Christ Jesus and make you to reign in dominion over sin instead of being dominated by the powers of evil and darkness. Part 3 The baptism of the Holy Spirit was so important in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ that he commanded his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And they steadfastly carried out what the Lord commanded, waiting on God in a continuous prayer meeting in the upper room for ten days until the promise of the Father was fulfilled and until that baptism had fallen that John the Baptist spoke of in Matthew 3.11, saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In order to obtain the Spirit of Jesus from heaven, it's first necessary that the individual knows that their sins are completely erased, that the blood of Jesus Christ has sanctified his heart and cleansed him from the sinful nature or the Adamic nature, the inherent nature of sin. In my case, I knew that my sins had been erased, but it was only two months prior to my baptism in the Holy Spirit that I learned by the Word of God and experienced in my life the sanctifying power of God, subduing the soul and cleansing the nature from sin. This inward life cleansing was to me the crowning work of God in my life at that period. And I will never cease to praise God that He revealed to me by the Holy Spirit the depth of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Many wonder why it is that when your heart is sanctified and the conscious knowledge of your cleansing has taken place, that you aren't instantly baptized with the Holy Spirit. From my own experience and the experiences of others, it's clearly seen that even though the heart is cleansed from sin, often it's still necessary for the dear Lord to further spiritualize the personality until the individual has become sufficiently receptive to receive within themselves the Holy Spirit. Certain forces of our personality must be subdued to God. This is what we mean by spiritualizing. For many, even though the heart really is pure, the individual hasn't immediately received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they give up in despair and turn back to their first works, believing that there must still be sin in their heart. In doing so, they discredit what God has already done within them through the blood of Jesus. No, it isn't always that the heart is still impure or because you aren't thoroughly sanctified. It's only God waiting and working to bring you to the place and to sufficiently spiritualize your personality that you may receive into your being the Holy Spirit. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't an influence or a good feeling or sweet sensations, though it may include all of these. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the incoming into the personality of Him, the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus taking real possession of your spirit, your soul, and your body. He possesses the being. Beloved, do you realize that it's the Spirit of Jesus that is seeking admittance into your heart and life? Do you realize that it's the Spirit of Jesus within the spirit, soul, and body of the baptized believer that moves them in ways that are sometimes strange, but who accomplishes the wondrous work of God within the life that every spirit-baptized believer praises God has taken place in them. When I only knew I was saved, justified, even without an experience of sanctification, the Lord gave me a measure of the ministry of healing so that many were healed. And in some instances, real miracles of healing took place. And at that time, I didn't even know God as my sanctifier. Ten years later, after sanctification had become a fact in my life, a great and wonderful desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire came to my heart. After seeking God persistently, almost night and day for two months, the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit, causing me to speak in tongues and magnify God. I had looked for and prayed for the real power of God for the ministry of healing and believed God that when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, that His presence in me through the Spirit would do for the sick the things my heart desired and which they needed. Instantly, upon being baptized in the Spirit, I expected to see the sick healed in a greater degree and in larger numbers than I had ever known before. And for a while, I seemed to be disappointed. How little we know of our own relationship to God. How little I knew of my own relationship to Him. Day by day, for six months following my baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Lord revealed to me many things in my life where I needed repentance, confession, and restitution. Even though I'd repented to God long ago. Oh, the deep cleansing, the deep revelations of one's own heart by the Holy Spirit. It was indeed, as John the Baptist said, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. First, then, I'll say the baptism in the Holy Spirit meant to me a heart-searching, as I've never before known, with no rest, until in every instance the blood was consciously applied and my life set free from the particular thing that God had revealed.
Like I said, this process continued for six months after my baptism in the Holy Spirit. Second, I was taken by a love for mankind in a way that I had never considered possible. It was a soul yearning to see men saved, and it was so deep, at times heartrending, until in anguish of soul I was compelled to abandon my business and turn all my attention to bringing men to the feet of Jesus. While this process was going on in my heart over many months, sometimes people would come to my office for business, and there were times where I could have made a lot of money. But the spirit of love in me yearned over souls so much that I couldn't even see the profits I could make. Under its sway, money lost its value to me, and in many instances, I found myself completely unable to talk business to the individual until first I had poured out the love passion of my soul and endeavored to show him Jesus as his then present Savior. In many instances, these business meetings ended in the individual yielding himself to God. That love passion for men's souls has sometimes been overshadowed by the weight of care since then, but only for a moment. Again, when occasion demanded it, that mighty love flame absorbing one's whole being in life would flame forth until, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit on many occasions, sinners would fall in my arms and yield their hearts to God. Others have looked for evidences of this Pentecostal experience being the real baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some have criticized and said, isn't this a delusion? But of all the evidences presented to me and taken from my experience, this experience of the divine love, the burning love and holy compassion of Jesus Christ filling one's heart until no sacrifice is too great to win a soul for Christ, demonstrates to me more than any other one thing that this is indeed none other than the Spirit of Jesus. That kind of love isn't human. That love can only be divine. Such love is only Jesus himself, who gave his life for others. Back to the development of power. First, after the mighty love, came the renewed, energized power for healing the sick. Oh, what blessed things God has given in this way. What glorious resurrections of the practically dead. Such restorations of the lame and the sick and the blind. Such shouts of joy. Such abundance of peace. Truly, he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Then came, as never before, the power to preach the word of God in demonstration of the Spirit. Oh, the burning, fiery messages. Oh, the tender, tender, loving messages. Oh, the deep revelations of wondrous truth by the Holy Spirit. 
preaching once, twice, sometimes three times a day, practically continuously during these four years and four months. So many thousands God has permitted us to lead to the feet of Jesus and the tens of thousands to whom he has permitted us to preach the word. Then came the strong, forceful exercise of dominion over devils and casting them out. Since that time, many insane and demon-possessed people with spirits of insanity and all sorts of unclean demons have been cast out in the mighty name of Jesus through the power of the precious blood. Saints have been led into deeper life in God. Many, many have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. My own ministry was multiplied a hundredfold in the very lives of others to whom God committed this same ministry. Yes, beloved, truly the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to be desired with the whole heart. Brother, sister, when we stand before the throne of God, and are asked why we haven't fulfilled in our life all the mind of Christ and all his desire in the salvation of the world. How strong will our excuses be if they are weighed against the salvation of imperishable souls? How terrible it will be for us to say we neglected or we put off, or that we failed to seek for the power that comes from on high, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One last thing. May we say that it was only after the Lord had baptized us in the Holy Spirit that we really learned how to pray. When He prayed through us, when the soul cries born of the Holy Spirit flowed out of your being and up to the throne of God, the answer came back. It was His Spirit, His prayer, His heart yearning. It was his cry. May God put it in every heart so we can all see the answer to our Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. But someone will say, how about tongues? We thought that you taught that tongues were the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they are. Tongues are a sign to those that don't believe. And while I personally praise God for the wonderful and blessed truths of His Word by the Spirit, revelations in doctrine, in prophecy, and poems by the Holy Spirit in tongues with interpretation that He's given me, yet, above all the external evidences, that which God accomplishes in your own lives demonstrating to your own consciousness the workings of God. No doubt that is the great evidence to the believer himself. For that which is known in one's consciousness cannot be denied. We stand firmly on scriptural grounds that every individual who's baptized in the Holy Spirit will and does speak in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means that such a degree of the Spirit is upon the life that the Spirit of God is given such absolute control of the person 
that he will be able to speak through them in tongues. Any lesser degree can't be called the baptism or even submersion and is properly better spoken of as an anointing. The life may be covered with deep anointings of the Holy Spirit, yet not to the degree that it would be properly called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Part 4 The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the greatest event in Christian history. It's greater than the crucifixion, more important than the resurrection, greater than the ascension, even greater than the glorification. It was the completion and finality of crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and glorification. If Jesus Christ had been crucified and there had been no resurrection, his death would have been without benefit as far as the salvation of mankind is concerned. Or if he'd risen from the grave in resurrection and failed to reach the throne of God and receive from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, the purpose for which he died and for which he arose, would have been missed. It's because there was no failure. It is because Jesus went to the ultimate, to the very throne and heart of God, and secured right out of the heavenly treasury of the eternal soul, the Almighty Spirit, and poured it forth upon the world in divine baptism. That's why we're here tonight. The day of Pentecost was the birthday of Christianity. Christianity never existed until the Holy Spirit came from heaven. The ministry of Jesus in the world was his own divine preparation of the world for his ultimate and final ministry. His ultimate and final ministry was to be by the Spirit. The ministry of Jesus during his earth life was localized by his humanity and localized because his message was only given to Israel. But the descent of the Holy Spirit brought to the souls of men a universal ministry of Jesus to every man, right from the heart of God. Heavenly contact with the eternal God in power set their nature on fire for God and with God exalted their natures into God and made the recipient godlike. Man became godlike. There's no subject in all the Word of God that seems to me would be approached with so much holy reverence as the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, my heart bleeds every day in my life when I hear the flippancy with which Christians discuss the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When Moses entered into the presence of God at the burning bush, God said, Take off your shoes from your feet, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Even more so, when the individual comes into the presence of God looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
and remembers that in order to obtain this gift, Jesus Christ lived in the world, bled on the cross, entered into the darkness of death and hell and the grave, grappled with and strangled that cursed power, came forth again, and finally ascended to heaven in order to secure it for you and me. If there's anything under heaven that ought to command our reverence, our holy reverence, our reverence beyond anything else in the world, it surely is the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes my soul is jarred when I hear people flippantly say, have you got your baptism? What if Jesus was on the cross and we were privileged tonight to look into his face at this hour? I wonder what the feeling of our soul would be. Or if we were to follow tonight behind the weeping ones who carried his dead body and laid it in the tomb, what would our feelings be? What if we were to meet him in the garden, as Mary did, in the glory of his resurrection? Or if God in his goodness would let us look into that glorious scene at the throne of God, when the heavens lifted up their gates, and the Lord of glory came in. Oh, if we could look into it, beloved, we would have a better understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love that dear old word, Holy Ghost. The Anglo-Saxon is guest, meaning a spiritual guest, a spiritual presence or heavenly visitor. And that heavenly visitor that comes to you and me comes right out of the heart of the eternal God, breathed through the soul of Jesus Christ. When he originally came, as he did upon the 120 at Jerusalem, no one went around saying, Brother, have you got your baptism? They were walking with their shoes off, with uncovered heads and uncovered hearts before the eternal God. I believe that the first essential in a real Holy Spirit church and a real Holy Spirit work is to begin to surround the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the reverence of God that is due an experience so sacred that costs such an awful price. One day, as I sat on a hill in South Africa with Mrs. Dockrell, a beautiful woman of God who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, as we sat together on the rocks, meditating and praying, the rest of the people being a little distance away, I observed the Spirit falling upon her powerfully until she was submerged in the Spirit. Then she began to deliver a message, first in tongues, later giving the interpretation in English. And I listened to the most wonderful lecture on the subject of reverence I've ever heard in all my life. Afterward, I said to her, tell me what you can about the experience you just had. She had never been in Europe, but she said, I was carried by the Spirit somewhere in Europe. I approached a great cathedral. And she went on to describe its architecture, 
She said, as I approached the door, I was greeted by an English priest who led me down the aisle to the altar, and I knelt. A white cloud began to settle down, and out of the cloud came the face and form of Jesus Christ. The priest was standing on the platform and began to speak, but I could see by the action of the Spirit that the words he spoke were simply words that were being spoken by the Lord. It's always been one of the sorrows of my life that I didn't have a stenographer who could have taken that wonderful message on reverence for the works of God. I've been reading one of the most beautiful books I have ever read. It's written by an English lady, Mrs. Parker, a missionary to India, and describes the life and teaching and mission of one Sadhu Sundar Singh, an Indian sadhu. who renounces the world absolutely, never marries, never takes part in any of the things of the world, separates himself to religious life, and practices meditation on God in the spiritual life. Sundar Singh, when he found the Lord Jesus Christ, conceived the idea of becoming a Christian sadhu. They walked from place to place, they wore no shoes, and they slept on the ground. Their life was utterly abandoned to God. One of the statements she wrote of Sundar Singh was, As you approach his presence, an awe comes over the soul. It seems as if you are again in the presence of the original Nazarene. Let us approach the Holy of Holies with a similar awe. Let us have reverence in the presence of the glorified one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is unique to the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, I baptize you in water into repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus Christ, the glorified, must lay his hands on you and me and bestow upon us all his own nature, the outflow of God, the substance of his soul, the characteristics of his mind, the very being of God himself. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? A temple of God. A house of God in which God lives. Sometimes I've tried to get it clear before my soul that God lives in me. I've tried to note the incoming influence and power of that pure, sweet, living spirit of the eternal God. I've tried to realize his presence in my spirit, in my soul, in my hands, in my feet, in my body and being. A habitation of God. A habitation of God. God equipping the soul to minister. Himself. God to the world. 
God equipping the soul of man that he may live forever in harmony with the mind of God. God furnishing to the soul of man the power of his personality by which man is made as God. All the godlike qualities of your heart is due to the fact that God by the Spirit dwells in you. What is it that you look for in another? It's God. You look into the eyes of another to see God. If you fail to see God in the other life, your heart is troubled. You are looking for God. I'm not interested in the form or the figure or the name of an individual. I'm interested in seeing God. Is God there? Is God in that man? Is God in that woman? Is it God that speaks? Is it God that moves? Are you seeing God? The baptism of the Holy Spirit was the incoming of God in a person so that the man or woman through this force might be moved by God. God lives in them. God speaks through them. God is the impulse of their soul. God has his dwelling place in them. You can have God. That's the wonder of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It isn't a work of grace. It is God possessing you. Oh, your heart may have been as sinful as the heart of any man was ever sinful. But Christ comes to your soul. That spirit of darkness that possessed you goes. And in its place, a new spirit comes in the Spirit of Christ. You have become a new creature, a saved one. You are God-filled. Sin manifests itself in three ways, in thought, in acts, and in nature. Salvation is a complete transformation. God takes possession of man, changes his thoughts, in consequence, his acts change, and his nature is new. A Christian isn't a reformed man. A Christian is a man made brand new, remade by the Spirit of God. A Christian is a man indwelt by God, the house of God the tabernacle of the Most High. Man, indwelt by God, becomes the hands, the heart, the feet, and the mind of Jesus Christ. God descends into man. Man ascends into God. That is the purpose and power of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. A soul is saved. How does Jesus reach him? Through your hands, through your heart, through your faith. 
When God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, he gives you the biggest gift that heaven or earth ever possessed. He gives you himself. He joins you by the one Spirit to himself forever. The requirement is a surrendered heart, a surrendered mind, a surrendered life. From the day that someone becomes a child of God, baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was God's intention through Jesus Christ that they would be a revelation of Jesus, not of themselves anymore. From that time on, the Christian would be a revelation of Jesus. If you were looking to know whether a man or woman was baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, what would you look for? You would look for God in them. You would look for a revelation of the personality of God. God in them. God speaking in them. God speaking through them. God using their hands, using their feet, a mind in harmony with God, a soul in touch with heaven, a spirit united and unified with and in Jesus Christ. It's not in my heart to discourage anyone or to make you disbelieve for one minute in the trueness of your own baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe that God, by the Spirit, has baptized many in the Holy Spirit. Hundreds and hundreds of people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit during the life of this church in the last six years. But, beloved, we haven't comprehended the greatness of God's intent. Not that we haven't received the Spirit, but our lives have not been sufficiently surrendered to God. We must keep on ascending right to the throne, right into the heart of God, right into the soul of the glorified. The common teaching that my heart is trying to fight these days is that God comes to present the individual with a gift of power and the individual is then supposed to go out and manifest some certain characteristic of power. No. God comes to present you with himself. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Jesus went to heaven so that the very treasury of the heart of the eternal God might be unlocked for your benefit. And that out of the very soul of the eternal God, the streams of his life in nature would possess you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, and that there would be just as much of the eternal God in your brain and your big toe as each can contain. In other words, from the very soles of your feet to the last hair on the top of your head, every cell of your being would be a residence of the spirit of the living God. Man is made alive by God and with God by the Spirit. And in the truest sense, 
Man is the dwelling place of God, the house of God, the tabernacle of the Most High. Listen. The words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. But the Father that dwells in me. Where did the eternal Father dwell in Jesus Christ? Well, in every part of his being, inside and out, in his spirit, in his soul, in his brain, in his body, in his blood, and in his bones. Every single solitary cell of his structure was the dwelling place of God. Of God. Of God. When you look for God, you don't look on the surface. You look within. When you discern someone to see whether God is in them, you look into their spirit, into their soul, into the depths of them. And there, you see God. How trivial are the controversies that surround the baptism of the Holy Spirit? People are debating such trivial issues. For instance, does someone always speak in tongues or not? Don't think for a moment that I'm discounting the value of tongues. I'm not. But beloved, I'll tell you what my heart is straining for. Down there at Jerusalem, they not only spoke in tongues, but they spoke the languages of the nations. If it was possible for old Peter and old Paul, or for the Jewish nation, then it's possible to every last one. Not to speak in tongues alone, as we ordinarily understand that phrase, but to speak because God dwells in you and speaks to whoever and will speak in whatever language he desires. And if our present experience in tongues isn't satisfying, God bless you. Go on into languages, as God meant that you would. Dear ones, I feel the need for that, and I feel it way down in my heart to a depth that hurts. I lived in South Africa for a number of years, where it's commonly said that there are 100,000 tribes of native people. Every last one of the 100,000 speaks a different dialect. These tribes number sometimes as low as 10,000 people and sometimes as high as hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. What if we were going to undertake to evangelize Africa rapidly? It would be necessary to have 100,000 different missionaries and have them all at one time master one particular language since there's 100,000 of them. Couldn't do it. I believe before high heaven that when the spirit of the eternal God is poured out upon all flesh, that out of the real Christian body will arise a hundred thousand men and women in Africa that'll speak in the language of every separate tribe by the power of God. The unknown tongue of the spirit was to teach you about God, to be a faith builder in your soul, to take you out into God's big practical endeavor to save the world. 
And that's the reason, dear ones, that I bring this issue to your soul tonight. In the matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are in a state of mere infancy of understanding, of mere infancy of divine control, of mere infancy in the ability to assimilate our environment, including languages. When we go to a school, we see classes arranged for every grade. I was talking to a young school teacher who teaches out in the country in a little public school. I said, how many children do you have in your school? She replied, 15. I asked, how many grades do you have? She said, eight grades. 15 scholars divided into eight grades. The Christian church is God's big school. What student in the eighth grade would think of saying to the child learning his ABCs, you don't know anything. Why don't you have an eighth grade understanding? Well, in due time, he will have it. That's why the student doesn't say that. It's because he knows someday the child will have it. One day that boy will understand, just like he does. And a weak Christianity always wants to drop to the incomplete and adjust itself to the popular mind, the lower grade. But a real Christianity always seeks to be made perfect in God, complete, graduating to the highest grade, both in character and gifts. Dear ones, I want to tell you a little of my own personal history on the subject of the baptism of the Spirit, for I know it'll bring clarity to your soul. I knelt under a tree when I was about 16 years old in repentance and prayer, and God came into my soul. I was saved from my sins, and from that day I knew Jesus Christ as a living Savior. There never was a single moment of question about the reality of His incoming into my life as Savior, for He saved me from my sins. My friend said, You're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sometime later, I think when I was around 20, I met a Christian farmer, Nelvin Pratt, who sat down on his plow handles and taught me about sanctification, the process of attaining holiness in your life. And God let me enter into that experience. My friend said, Now, surely you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Later in my life, I came under the ministry of George B. Watson of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, who taught with more clearness and better distinction between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and sanctification. And I entered into a richer life and a better experience. A beautiful anointing of the Spirit was upon my life. Then, when the ministry of healing was open to me, and I ministered for ten years in the power of God, hundreds and hundreds of people were healed by the power of God during this ten years, and I could feel the conscious flow of the Holy Spirit through my soul and my hands. But at the end of that 10 years, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. There was such a hunger for God that as I left my offices in Chicago and walked down the street, 
my soul would break out and I would cry, oh God. And people would stop and look at me in wonder. It was the yearning passion of my soul, asking for God in a greater measure than I then knew. But my friends would say, Mr. Lake, you have a beautiful baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was nice as far as it went, but it wasn't answering the cry of my heart. I was growing up into a larger understanding of God and the needs of my own soul. My soul was demanding a greater entrance into God, His love, His presence, and power. Then one day, an old man strolled into my office, sat down, and in the next half hour, he revealed more of the knowledge of God to my soul than I had ever known before. And when he left, I said, God bless that old grayhead. That man knows more of God than any man I ever met. By the grace of God, if that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues does, I'm going to possess it. Oh, right then, so much of the wonder of God was revealed to my heart. I went into fasting and prayer and waiting on God for nine months. And one day, the glory of God in a new manifestation and a whole new incoming came to my life. And when that experience had passed and the glory of it remained in my soul, I found that my life began to manifest in the varied range of the gifts of the Spirit. I spoke in tongues by the power of God, and God flowed through me with a new force. Healings were of a more powerful order. God lived in me. God manifested in me. God spoke through me. My spirit was deified, and I had a new comprehension of God's will, a new discernment of spirit, a new revelation of God in me. For nine months, everything that I looked at framed itself into poetic verse. I couldn't look at the trees without it framing itself into a glory poem of praise. I preached to audiences of thousands night after night and day after day. People came from all over the world to watch. They couldn't understand. Everything I said was a stream of poetry. It flowed from my soul in that form. My spirit had become a fountain of poetic truth. Then an entirely new wonder was manifested. My nature became so sensitized that I could lay my hands on any man or woman and tell what organ was diseased and to what extent and all about it. I tested it. I went to hospitals where doctors couldn't diagnose a case, touched a patient, and instantly I knew the organ that was diseased, its extent and condition and location. And one day, it passed away. A child gets to playing with a toy, and his joy is so wonderful, he sometimes forgets to eat. 
Don't you remember when you were first baptized in the Holy Spirit and you first spoke in tongues, how you bubbled and babbled? It was so wonderful, so amazing. We just wanted to be babies and go on bubbling and exhilarating. And now we're wondering, what's the matter? The enthusiasm, the the effervescence seems to have passed away. Well, it's a good thing that it did. God is letting your soul down, beloved, into the bedrock. Right down where your mind isn't occupied anymore with the manifestation of God. God is trying to get your mind occupied with himself. God has come into you. Now he is drawing you into himself. Will you speak in tongues when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, you will, but you'll do a lot more than that, bless God. So much more than that. You will speak with the soul of Jesus Christ. You will feel with the heart of the Son of God. Your heart will beat with a heavenly desire to bless the world because it is the heart of Jesus that is beating in your soul. And I don't believe there'll be any tendency in your heart to turn around to another child of God and say, you aren't in my class. I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. That is as foreign to the Spirit of the Son of God as night is from day. Beloved, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there will be such a deep tenderness in your soul that you will never crush the aspiration of another by a single suggestion. But your soul will beat and pulse in love, and your heart will be under that one to lift it up to God and push it out as far into the glory as your faith can send it. I want to talk with absolute openness and say to you that speaking in tongues has been the making of my ministry. It's that unusual communication with God when God reveals to my soul the truth I say to you day by day in my ministry. But that time of communication with me is mostly in the night. Many times I climb out of bed take my pencil and pad and jot down the beautiful things of God, the wonderful things of God that he talks out in my spirit and reveals to my heart. Many Christians don't understand the significance of tongues any more than someone understands the experience of your soul when you're saved from sin. It has taken place in you. It's in your heart. It's in your mind, in your being. The man who tries to make you doubt the reality of your touch with God when he saved you out of your sin is foolish. It's established in you. The old Methodists couldn't explain the experience, but they said, it's better felt than told. They knew it by internal knowledge. That's what it's like in a real baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the same with prophecy and with healing, and it's the same with tongues. Don't throw away what you have. Keep on. Continue to completion. Go on to perfection. 
The spirit of man has a voice. Do you get that? The spirit of man has a voice. The action of God in your spirit causes your spirit to speak by its voice. In order to understand it with any intelligence, it has to be repeated in the language that your brain knows. Why? Because there's a language common to the spirit of man, and it's not English, it's not German, French, Italian, or any of the other languages of earth. It is a language of the spirit of man. And oh, what a joy it was when that pent-up, bursting, struggling spirit of yours found its voice and spoke in tongues. So many times I've talked to others in the Spirit, by the Spirit, through the medium of tongues, and knew everything that was said to me, but I didn't know it with this ear. It was not the sound of their words. It was that undefinable something that made it intelligent. Spirit speaks to spirit, just as mouth speaks to mouth, or as man speaks to man. Your spirit speaks to God. God is spirit. He answers back, bless God. And I believe with all my heart that this is what Paul had in mind when he talked about the unknown tongue. The unknown tongue, that medium of internal revelation of God to you. The common language of the spirit of man by which God communicates with your spirit. But if you want to make that expression of internal revelation of God understandable to other folks, then it has to be translated to the language that they know. That's the reason the apostle says, let the one that speaks in tongues pray that they may interpret, so the church may be built up. Paul says, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, so by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Your revelation from God is given to you in tongues, but you give it forth in the language the people understand. Beloved, settle it. It's one of the divine mediums and methods of communication between your spirit and God's. And as long as you live, when you talk about tongues, speak with reverence, for it is God. When you talk about healing, speak with reverence, for it's God. When you talk about prophecy, remember, it's God. A German woman came to the healing rooms one day, and a brother prayed for her. She had been a schoolteacher, but had to give up her profession because of her eyesight. She came back some weeks later after having been alone for three weeks. She'd never been in a religious service in her life where they speak in tongues, and didn't know anything the Bible said about it. She came back to me with a stack of written material of things that God had given her. Here's what happened. When she'd been prayed for to receive healing, the Spirit of God came upon her and she was baptized in the Holy Spirit.
So then God began to reveal himself to her, teach her about his word and his will, until she filled a volume with written material of her conversations with God. She communed with God in tongues, her spirit speaking to God. But when she came to me with what she wrote, I received it in English. Someone sitting next to you might not understand that. He never talked to God. He doesn't understand anything about getting up in the middle of the night to write down what God has said to him. Well, he needs something else to convince him that there's a God. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that don't believe. But prophecy, the foretelling for God, is for all. Therefore, Paul does not want them to limit a man who's speaking in tongues, but to keep their hands off and stand back. Leave him alone with God. Let him travel a way out in his love and power and come back with messages in his soul. But he shouldn't monopolize the time of the hundreds of people in the church with a private communication of God to his soul. But when he's completed his conversation with God, he shares his knowledge as an interpretation or a prophecy. There have been so many controversies over the various gifts of the Spirit as they reappeared one after another. Before the turn of the century, about 25 or 30 years ago, when we began in the ministry of healing, we had to fight to keep from being dismissed by our opposing brothers in Jesus Christ, who thought you were insane because you suggested that the Lord Jesus Christ could still heal. In the state of Michigan, I had to go to court to keep some of my friends out of the insane asylum because they believed God could heal without taking pills or some other medicine. It was because they didn't understand the eternal and invisible nature of God. They had no idea God could be ministered through a man's hands and soul, that he could fill a sick man's body and take possession of him and make him whole. The world has had to learn this. It's a science much farther advanced than the material or physical sciences. Then that marvelous wave of God came over the country from 1900 to 1906, when hundreds of thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. But look, old John Alexander Dowie, riding on the wave of that wonderful manifestation of healing power, wanted to build a church and stamp it with healing only. Rejecting the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues, and his church practically did that and died. Other churches branded theirs with holiness only and died. There were others who had the anointing of the Holy Spirit that they called baptism, and they died in power also. Then later on, we Pentecostals wanted to build a great structure and stamp it with tongues. And after a while, the tongues got dry. Somehow, the glory and the glow had gone out of them. 
They became like rattles and didn't sound right. What was the matter? There was nothing wrong with the experience. God hadn't departed from the life, but was hidden from our view. We were absorbed in the phenomena of God, the experience, and not in God himself. But now we must go on. Now, beloved, I can see as my spirit discerns the future and reaches out to touch the heart of mankind and the desire of God, that there is coming from heaven a new manifestation of the Holy Spirit and power. And that new manifestation will be in sweetness, in love, in tenderness, in the power of the Spirit, beyond anything your heart or mine ever saw. The very lightning of God will flash through the souls of men and women. The sons of God will meet the sons of darkness and prevail. Jesus Christ destroying all that is anti-Christ. In 1908, I preached in Pretoria, South Africa, when one night God came over my life in such power, in such streams of liquid glory and powers that it flowed consciously off my hands like streams of electricity. I would point my finger at a man and that stream would strike him. When a man interrupted the meeting, I would point my finger at him and say, sit down. And he fell like he was struck and lay for three hours. When he became normal, they asked him what happened. And he said, something hit me that went straight through me. I thought I was shot. At two o'clock in the morning, I ministered to 65 sick people at that meeting. And the streams of God that were pouring through my hands were so powerful that the people would fall as though they were hit. I was troubled because they fell so violently. And the Spirit said, You don't need to put your hands on them. Keep your hands a bit of a distance away. And when I held my hands a foot from their heads, they would crumple and fall to the floor. They were healed, almost every one. That was the outward manifestation. That was what the people saw. But beloved, something transpired in my heart that made my soul like the soul of Jesus Christ. Oh, there was such a tenderness, a newborn tenderness of God that was so wonderful that my heart reached out and cried and wept over people who were in sin. I could gather them in my arms and love them. And Jesus Christ flowed out of me and delivered them. Drunkards were saved and healed as they stood looking at me, fascinated. At that time, men would walk down the aisle. And when they came within 10 feet of me, I've seen them fall flat, one on top of the other. A preacher who had sinned, as he looked at me, fell flat, was saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then went to stir the nation with his message of love. 
In 18 months, God raised up 100 churches in South Africa. Those 100 churches were birthed in my church in Johannesburg. The multitude of those who made up the churches were healed or baptized in the Holy Spirit under my own eyes as I preached or prayed. I continued in the ministry of healing until I saw hundreds of thousands healed. I grew tired. I went on healing people day after day as though I was a machine. And all the time, my heart kept asking, Oh God, let me know you better. I want you. My heart wants you, God. Seeing men saved and healed and baptized in the Holy Spirit didn't satisfy my growing soul. It was crying for a greater consciousness of God. The deepest part of me was yearning for Christ's own life and love. After a while, my soul reached the place where I said, If I can't get God into my soul to satisfy that hunger, all the rest of this is empty. I had lost a driven interest in it, but if I put my hands on the sick, they continued to be healed by the power of God. I will never forget when in Spokane, during the first six months I was there, God satisfied the cry of my heart. God came in, and my mind opened, and my spirit understood things in a new way. And I was able to talk about God and speak out my heart like I'd never been able to do before. God reached a new depth in my spirit and revealed new possibilities in God. So, beloved, pray until you get through. Pray through for this church. Pray through for this work. Oh, God will come. God will come with more tongues than you've ever heard. God will come with more power than your eyes have ever seen in your life. God will come with flowing waves of heavenly love and sweetness. And blessed be God, your heart will be satisfied in Him. Will someone speak in tongues when he's baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, they will. And they will heal the sick when they are baptized. And they will glorify God out of their spirit with praises more delightful and heavenly than you've ever heard. And they'll have a majestic demeanor. They will look like the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be like him. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit baptized life ever given to the world was not in the preaching of the apostles. And it wasn't in the wonderful manifestations of God that took place in their hands. It was in the unselfishness that was manifested by the church. Think about it. 3,000 Holy Spirit baptized Christians in Jerusalem from the day of Pentecost onward, who loved their neighbor's children as much as their own, who were so concerned that their brothers might not have enough to eat that they sold their estates and brought the money and gave it to the apostles and said, distribute it. 
carry the glow and the fire and the wonder of this divine salvation to the whole world. That showed what God had done in their hearts. Oh, I wish we could arrive at that place where this church was baptized in that degree of unselfishness. That would be a greater manifestation than healing, greater than conversion, greater than the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and greater than tongues. It would be a manifestation of the love of 1 Corinthians 13 that so many preach about and don't possess themselves. When a man or woman sells their all for God and distributes it for the kingdom's good, it will speak louder of love than the evangelists who harp about love and oppose tongues and the other gifts of the Spirit. That was the same Holy Spirit that came upon them and caused them to speak in tongues. There was no more grabbing for themselves, no more jockeying for the biggest possible salary, no more strategizing to put themselves and their friends in the most influential positions. All the old characteristics were gone. They were truly saved. Their heart was like the heart of Jesus. Their soul was like the soul of God. They loved as God loved. They loved the world. And they loved sinners so much that they gave their all to save them. Do you want him? You can have him. He will come and fill your soul. Yes, the Holy Spirit will take possession of your life. He will reveal the wonder of heaven and the glory of God and the richness and purity of His holiness and make you sweet and like God forever. You are not far away, O oh God. Our souls tonight are enveloped in the eternal God. We feel you around us. We feel your precious loving arm, the beating of your heart, and the pulsing of your heavenly soul. And we're asking you, my God, that the truth of the eternal will be breathed into us forever. Until all our nature is submerged in God, buried in God, infilled with God, revealing God.